Welcome to An Eye for Business. Exploring the entrepreneurial mindset of people who are blind or vision impaired. Brought to you in partnership between Blind Citizens Australia and Vision Australia. Hello and welcome to this episode 8 of the An Eye for Business podcast series. This podcast series runs in conjunction with the Entrepreneurial Mindset webinar series, which is a part of the Eye to the Future project run by Blind Citizens Australia. As the introduction says, this podcast series is brought to you in conjunction between Blind Citizens Australia and Vision Australia, and it focuses on blind and vision impaired people who are running their own businesses. As I said at the beginning, this is episode 8, and this is the first of two interviews we will be conducting as part of this series with people who either run or have run their own music recording studios. This week we speak with someone who I've known for well over 30 years. Steve Sparrow is blind and has been running his own studio in the south of Brisbane for well over 20 years now. Steve, thanks for joining us on this, uh, this podcast series. Let's find out a little bit about you and your background. Where'd you grow up? Me, I was born in Brisbane. Uh, in uh, 1974, yes, so um, 48, and uh, yeah, and I grew up in Brisbane um, in a place called Birkdale, which is on the sort of south side of Brisbane, or just out of the, not really actually part of Brisbane, but just outside. Uh, yeah, that's me, that's where I grew up. And when I first met you, it was at the National Braille Music Camp in 1989. So you've had quite a significant background in uh, in music across, uh, well, I guess across much of Australia. I uh, have been in music. Well, I've been involved in the music industry uh, ever since probably the late 80s when I started playing a few uh, a few of my first shows as a musician. I'm a, a guitar player and a singer, uh, write a lot of songs and um, I'm also an uh, entertainer, um, so yes, it's uh, go- goes back quite a long way now, and um, yeah, it's it's just a matter of trying to keep it fresh and do different stuff and keep yourself out there. Do you find that difficult? Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> um, sometimes it just depends. Yeah, look, it's all it is always difficult trying to keep things fresh and interesting firstly not only for other people but also for myself like if you're going to play music especially if you're going to especially if you're going to play music you have to keep yourself fresh because if you're not fresh and you're not into it and you haven't you haven't got that mojo thing going on it's people pick up on it they know and they're just not interested so and there's been times when i've yeah generally i'm i'm pretty into it yeah but there's yeah there's times when I've, I've really had to work at that sometimes but I think all musicians probably do that have been in, involved with music for a long time the problem for me is it's ingrained in me right if I don't play if I don't play music for more than a few weeks or play to a live crowd I go pretty stir crazy like I have to do it you know like so I don't know a way of living life without performing, um, I, I'm quite happy to not do it for a few weeks, and I can I can go a month without doing a gig. Yeah, but any more than that, it's like oh, I'm getting some pretty weird uh, mood swings happening here. And, and I do, uh, it's part of me. I have to do it, you know. Mm. But you you have kind of developed other strands to your bow, so to speak, um, and we're we're going to talk about uh, your yep. studio. But there are other things that you've done besides music. Tell us a bit about your work in radio and other areas. 
So I've always had an, an interest in, um, in in radio, and I now, uh, along with running my own business, I, I actually am employed um, just part-time um, at 4RPH, which is known as Reading Radio up here in Brisbane. Um and uh, you know that's a lot of fun. It's just great working with it's it's great working with people and 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 hearing all sorts of different stuff that you wouldn't normally hear. But I started in radio back in the very early nineties and uh, started doing some work at some of the local community radio stations, just sort of voluntarily. And then I got involved with kids radio, um, place an organisation that was called Radio Lollipop at the time, and what that was was, it was a radio station that was set up in the Royal Children's Hospital here in Brisbane, and they had one in the Martyr as well, um, the Martyr Hospital, and what we would do was play uh, all sorts of music and um, talk to the kids, and they the kids would sort of hear it in the wards through their little the little speakers near their bed, and then other volunteers would uh, go up into the wards and talk to the kids and and just you know just spread a bit of happiness around because some of those people had some pretty difficult things going on and uh, it was just a lot of fun and then yeah that was the start of it all and then um i've been with uh, 4rph reading radio for many years um and uh yeah it's um it's just a lot of fun it's just it's good to do and i also do uh these days, I've taken on a bit of a teaching role uh, as far as um, teaching audio to um, other blind people. So I've got about four students and I teach um, a number of different audio programs. I teach um, Reaper and Logic. I also use Pro Tools, but um, I don't teach that very much because there's quite a cost involved, so most people aren't interested to to learn that but yeah a number of different audio programs and that seems to be going pretty well so yeah i'll keep myself fairly busy Mm. that's not the main thrust of your work though you run your own studio tell us about your studio and and what you do there okay so it's a four-room studio it's part of my house i actually bought my house uh, many years ago, with a view to setting up the studio, so yeah, that was the main reason. I thought, oh well, I'll buy the house, and if things don't work, I can always uh, get rid of the place and buy a smaller house. But that was 22 years ago, <laughs> and I'm still here, um, still recording. So basically, um, it's a four-room studio. I have a uh, control room, which is where all our equipment is and um and then i have a main vocal uh, a main recording area and a little vocal booth and uh, a drum room and i've recorded um countless uh, albums and singles for all sorts of genres of music but predominantly in the country music scene um because that's where my roots are and probably the music i understand the most although i've got a fairly good grounding of many genres of music and I'm quite diverse in my uh, musical tastes and I've tried to you know keep myself try to keep exploring you know new ground in that in that sort of area so yeah it 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 keeps me pretty busy really and it's a lot of fun you started that studio quite some time ago you mentioned that uh, you built you built it as part of your house that you bought 22 years ago but uh, you yep. started recording quite a bit before that what got you into <laughs> yes. actually recording people and I, I guess 
you know, what made you think that recording people and getting paid for it was for you? I don't know. Uh, it's just something that evolved, right? So to start the studio itself, I've always had an obsession with recording equipment, as I I know you have as well, because um, you and I go back a long way as well, and we've talked about this a lot. But I have always, ever since a little kid, I was obsessed by, I guess like a lot of blind people were really, of um, I know of our generation anyway, with tape recorders and mucking around with them. And I just had this desire to take it a bit further. And I um, used to start... Oh, I think I started recording. My first recordings were made with like two cassette decks, you know, to get together through an amplifier. And you'd, you know, this is back in the late eighties, you know, and you'd 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 play on one and you'd record your guitar part, and then then you'd play it back and record through the other one, and then record the next bit, you know, like and off you went. And then of course I in about nineteen ninety three I bought a eight track. Um, reel to reel it was a half uh, half inch uh, tape machine and sort of went from there I, it, it just sort of evolved really in a way and people I knew a lot of I had a lot of contacts which was pretty good and I knew a lot of people who played and uh, a lot of musicians and of course they would just come around and go oh Steve's got some recording equipment oh like what do you do you, Steve what are you doing Saturday I'm, I've got to put this song down it's like yeah yeah right so I'd just do that and and um and then um, then I um, moved into a rent, rented a place for a while and I, I recorded oh, probably 10 or a dozen albums there. Um, and it was sort of like uh, my mum and dad who supported me quite heavily through this uh, process, yeah, they were sort of at me to get rid of the rented place and buy a house and they sort of said, oh, you know, um, if you did that, you could actually really set up a studio and... Uh, and I sort of was a bit scared to do it, you know, and uh, it's like, oh, yeah, righto. And uh, what actually, <laughs> the the clincher really was that I was doing a lot of recording by this stage. The clincher really was that someone tried to break into my rental property and it happened a couple of times. And uh, then I thought, well, okay, um, I'm getting out of here. I've got to go somewhere. Uh, maybe... I might buy a house and uh, set up the studio and just see if I really can make a go of it. And um, so uh, when I did, um, I put a bit of advertising out and I, I had a lot of contacts in the country music scene, so it was quite easy to get my first few jobs. Like, it wasn't that difficult because a lot of people knew who I was and um, and it just sort of evolved from there. So that, that that's sort of an interesting way to sort of start a business, I guess. But yeah, um, that 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 was a that was sort of the clincher in in, in a way. I was a bit scared to take that next step, if you know what I mean. You know. Mm. And when you when you first started, what were some of the attitudes that you faced from people, particularly around your vision impairment, and what were some of the issues you faced? Oh, yeah, it was sort of interesting because a lot of people said, oh, well, you wouldn't be able to, it's going to be too difficult to do that because you're going to need someone to read your level metres. I mean, you know, of course, some of the stuff we talk about here might, we'll try not to get too technical. <laughs> you know, if people aren't into audio, they might not know what level metres are or whatever else, but we won't stress too much about that. But um, 
Um, yeah, it was. There were certain things that people said that I couldn't do, and I must admit, at the time, things were a bit harder. There, there, there were things that I needed more sighted assistance for, but I just said, "Well, it's just what I want to do. It, it, it's 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 what rocks my boat. It, it's it, it's all you know, recording and and playing music really were the two things that that I wanted to do. So." I just said, well, I'm going to do it anyway, and um, if it doesn't work, well, I'll eat humble pie and admit that I was wrong, but I haven't had to do that as yet. But, yeah, there, there were people that... that uh, I think even my dad, I still remember my dad back in... Um, when I first started mucking around with reel-to-reel tape recorders back in the late 80s, and he had this tape recorder that was a bit hard to thread up, and I, I still remember him saying, which was quite profound for my dad, because he was always, he said, oh, I just can't see how you're going to be able to do this, like threading the mach- reel-to-reel tape machine, eh? it's going to be too hard for you, it's like, oh yeah, well, alright then, if that's the case, I'll make sure that I do it, yeah. within <laughs> half an hour I had it sorted out, you know, like so, it wasn't very, but yeah, I'm not quite sure why he said that that day, because he's always been so supportive of, of everything I've done, and really assisted me in so many ways, but he just couldn't quite see it, that I think it was the fact that he just wasn't really sure what I'd be able to do or, you know, what I couldn't do or, or whatever else. And, yeah, you know, so it, that's – but, yeah, you just sort of overcome a lot of those things. You just go, well, there's – I think in every area there's – I think as a blind person, look, there are going to be things you're going to need to – look, you're probably going to need some assistance somewhere along the line. It's very hard to totally be – entirely independent when you're running your own business well i guess it depends on the type of business it is but mm. what i would say is if you yeah you know sometimes you just got to go and get that assistance or do what's needed to get something to work you talk about family members being a little bit negative about you know when you get started sometimes i wonder whether perhaps they do that so that you will do exactly what you did and you know pr- just to prove them wrong yeah I think that's true. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, but I've been, I mean, look, I've been very lucky in my world to have a very supportive family and also um, uh, very supportive uh, parents who pretty well pushed me out there. Uh, well, made me push myself out there, and if more to the point. And um, I, I don't know if I could have real. I, I don't know, I think think that did make it easier it would have been very hard to do it if you had no support at all but that's not to say that it's not doable it's just some people achieve amazing things just by um you know again be you know and, and probably are more independent than me you know if you know what i mean but uh i, I was very lucky in that way that I, I did have good help around me and then of course i met my wife karen and she very supportive of, of, of what I do um, and that does make it easier but that doesn't mean that you can't do something uh, if you don't have that around it's just it did help me though and what about the other side of your business which is um, doing gigs and things like that around Brisbane how does that work for you and what sort of support do you feel um, that you need with with managing that so if you're going to go and play gigs you're going to need a lot of support. That's something that you really cannot do as a... Well, yeah, no, I can't see how 
I could do that as a blind person without sighted assistance. In fact, I would say that whole musical world. I also play. Uh, I, I'm a. I'm an art. I, I put myself out there as an artist as well as. Uh, so I play a lot of music festivals. Uh, write a lot of my own material, put out my own albums, and um, I. Um, so there's the entertainment side of it where I'm just a pub and club entertainer, and then there's the Steve Sparrow, the singer songwriter, country music artist who plays at, at music festivals, and you're doing different material there, you know. So, but either way, the whole thing is. That's such a sided world. You, it's you need support to get to the gigs, right? You need support to, um, so you need someone to assist you there, which you could use a support worker, and sometimes I do, you know, like you know, from um, like NDIS or something. You know, there's ways around it nowadays, but essentially, um, I've always got either my wife or sometimes my dad uh, would uh, get me to gigs and. Uh, other friends and stuff and that because the places are changing all the time if you're working the same place all the time then maybe you might be able to do that but um do it on your own but then you got your pa to set up so it's i see the the um the music live music industry is a very sided uh world and not everyone would want to do it you know but I, i like to play and um that's sort of the way it is and whereas in the studio really uh especially since in the old days when i started you needed a bit more assistance sometimes like with uh, reading meters if you wanted to be really accurate or uh but nowadays especially like unless i'm recording something like if i've got a really if i've got a big band in the studio or if i'm recording drums then i will get some studio assistants to help me set up because it's going to make the thing a lot easier you know and and save a lot of time but for the most part i don't use a studio assistant i you know especially if i'm only recording a couple of people at a time um it's something i can go and do pretty well without too much sighted help unless it's a big job you know do you think maybe that that might have been a part of the reason why you did it because you wanted to do something you could do independently most Mm. definitely um i love playing music and uh uh, as I said before, if I don't if I don't do it, uh, I, I go uh, off. Yeah, I, I get a bit weird, <laughs> a bit strange. Yeah. It's, but uh, the problem is, I can't do it all the time either. You know, like because and part of the reason is because I have no independence, and that is exactly why uh, I well, not the only reason, but that's one of the reasons why I did the studio uh, because. I do have independence. Um, so as a straight musician, I feel, yeah, I feel pretty dependent really on sighted people if I'm just doing that sort of work. And, yeah, that would be quite stifling to just do that. But some people wouldn't worry about that. I, I, yeah, I do because I, I need to have my own headspace. And, and yeah, and but definitely, most definitely, it's the studio was... A, a way of me being able to do my own thing really without too much help and it, it's great you know mm. you can yeah what about the administrative side of the business how how's that gone for you and how have you managed with uh, bookkeeping and things like that not too bad i do i sh- i do a lot of it myself uh um not so much in the early days i did less myself i must admit i 
Um, I used to get people to assist me with invoices and uh, I used to get people to assist me with invoices and and things like that, but uh, not not these days. I, I have all that done myself. But, yeah, look, uh, I'm pretty good with that. I could probably do more if I wanted to. I do get my wife to assist me with uh, bits and pieces, but for the most part, I can... There's no reason why you can't do as much or as little of that, especially these days, um, as you want. I mean, you've got accounting packages like Zero that is totally accessible now. I mean, much easier now than it was when I started. I mean, when I started, um, well, when I started, we didn't even have the internet. <laughs> mm. So really, it was a lot harder then to uh, to do a lot of that stuff. Um, I think nowadays, yeah. It's so much easier now than than what it was twenty years ago. Mm. There's other studios in Brisbane that you could work for. Um, you know, there's you could you could be part of the the teaching program at some of the the universities teaching audio uh, technology and things like that. What makes you want to own your own business and continue to do that? I think it's just the fact that I can do something to hang my hat on as. Uh, as a person and a musician and and, and a producer um, so it's and I think I don't think it really entered my head at the start of things to to go and do that uh, I did think about that later on I sort of thought oh maybe I should have uh, maybe I could have just gone and worked for someone else or, or done this or that and I probably still couldn't if, if I wanted to but this I don't know it's just I love working with people, right? So I just get people in the studio, say, that they bring me a bunch of songs or whatever their project is, and I've got to do something to turn that into something like a product. And to me, that's, uh, you know, quite an, quite an achievement for me and the, uh, the person I'm working with. And uh, it's, I don't know, it's just, just what I've always really done. It's just... I can't think of any other way life would be. It started that way. I guess a lot of it sort of evolved in a way. I was guess I was lucky that things lined up, I suppose, in a way. But I, I pushed myself pretty hard. But I, I just really enjoy doing it. I just can't imagine not working for myself and, and, and not doing that because I've done it for so long. I think I did sort of look into uh, working in radio in the early days. Yeah, I did. I went and got some work experience at 4KQ, uh, which is Brisbane radio station up here, which is actually now closed down. Um, uh, yeah, but um, I did that, and I don't know. They they had they had their um, production people there, and that went all right you know I, I i did a few promos and stuff there and i could they could see that i i knew what i was doing but there wasn't really any openings there you see so um you know they had their production people and and i sort of thought i don't know if, if i'm going to do something with with this it's probably going to be easier to create my own sort of thing because it seemed it just seemed difficult to to sort of get it sort of get it in if you know what I mean mm. and it just seemed like if I did my own thing that I could I could uh, probably make a go of it and I think 
the fact that I had contacts to, and I had people that wanted to do stuff, if I didn't have that, then I got a lot of those contacts because I was playing at a lot of music festivals and I was there was a couple of people who supported me who, who I knew who really also wanted to help me and they did sort of push me out there a little bit and sort of help me with a bit of early sort of promotion and just kept mentioning my name you know and said oh if you want to go and do a record go and see Steve and they did that was the Mm. thing so that was I mean look I think if you want to do this or any other sort of business you know like how you do the promotion is there's no book on how to do that you know I guess there is but it it, the rules are a bit unwritten and people seem to do it in roundabout ways or, or, or things. Uh, for me, that's how I got the work. And mm. it, and then, of course, I had to prove myself, do a good job and, and, and things sort of went from there, you know. But So I think that was the thing is the jobs kept coming. So it was like, okay, well, oh, righto, <laughs> I'll, keep this, I'll, <laughs> I'll keep it up. Yeah, so long as you're getting paid for it, it's uh, it's worth doing it, isn't it? And so long well, as you're enjoying exactly right. it too. Well, that's exactly right. Mm. I mean, um, if, if you had I not had that experience as a musician and had had those uh, those sort of those sort of outs and and the ability to create things, I think oh, it would have been much harder mm. to um, to do it. But luckily, I I had those outlets and those places I was playing at, and I was able to. You know, promote myself through those shows that I was doing, and 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 mate, that definitely was the crux of the beginning of it all. Without that, it would have been—I don't know how I would have found the work. Hmm. What sort of adaptations have you had to make to your studio to enable you to work efficiently and effectively? These days, not a lot. That well, I have, but they're things. Okay, so all the audio programs I use and you would know about this and a lot of other blind audio people would know about the use of um, macros on the Windows side, on the Mac side I should say, and scripts on the Windows side. Um, but essentially, so I use I use a screen reader. I use, uh, well in the studio I'm essentially using Mac, but i Use I'm a Windows user and a and a Mac user, so in the studio um, I'm using Pro Tools, which runs on a Mac. Pro Tools does not run on Windows for blind people. It does, but it's not accessible to blind Windows users at this point. Um, so I'm using VoiceOver on the Mac, and I've I use um, some uh, macros called Flow Tools. And there's just some scripts that actually make... Pro Tools actually works very well on the Mac out of the box. It works perfectly fine. And I did start using it that way. Um, but the uh, Flow Tools scripts came along. makes things a hell of a lot easier. You get access to a lot of parameters like instant access to all your meters and stuff like that and all sorts of other things. Um, and... Um, essentially on the Windows side it's the same sort of thing I do use Reaper and um, and same sort of deal uh, there's Osara scripts which you need to use to get Reaper to work That Reaper works very well on both Windows and Mac so you can use it on whatever side of the world you live you know you want to mm. play on if you know what I mean um, outside that not a lot really 
What about things like patching um, leads and things like that? Did you put Braille labels on any of your cables? or um... No, not my cables, but I do label up the... Because, uh, I mean, things like patch leads, you can just sort of... Swap you can feel what you can feel what a stereo plug is. I um yeah. I do see. I do have a, a patch bay um in my studio. So so basically, it means if I want to run a microphone from out in the drum room or out in my main uh, main recording uh, room, I don't have to run cables in through the door. You know, mm. um you know, I just there's kilometers of wiring in my ceiling <laughs> you know like so that we don't obviously see but or no one sees it because it's all you know part of the, the building now but yeah so I, I, I've got a I've, I've got a patch bay I didn't label it up no I just remembered where the sockets were but generally I do tend to label consoles up a bit because uh, especially when you got like um, well, I don't have a 24-channel desk anymore. Like, I've got a 16-channel control surface that I run as my desk, which is... Uh, and I do, I do have labels on that because I can I can use it without, but I, I don't want to have to think about counting channels. I just want to go to channel 10 and know where that is. And I did put labels on that. Uh, mm. Yeah. Uh, and But in the old days, I... <laughs> in the old days, I had a, a peak meter that used to actually beep when you'd have to calibrate it and it it would actually I didn't want to have to think too much about levels and it was um it would actually just sort of uh, emit like a little beep when it reached you know whatever you know like 0 dB or whatever you decided to set it to but you don't need that anymore with 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 uh, the uh, accessibility now being so much better with things like meters and stuff you know I don't really need any of that sort of stuff anymore mm. If you were talking to somebody who was starting a business exactly like yours now, so yeah, call it your yeah. younger self, for example, what would you tell them? Yeah. Oh, firstly, <laughs> I would say make sure you like what you do because it's gonna <laughs> this gonna be a hell of a lot of hours, and not everyone would want to put that amount of time in. I, I just enjoy the work, so it's I like doing it, so it doesn't worry me, you know. But, um. Yeah, I mean that that's the first thing. The second thing would be look, if you're going to do this work, probably any other business. I've I've not worked in other areas of business, but look, you really have to give 150% and sometimes that requires sometimes as a blind person it might require me to do extra work sometimes to maybe compete in a sighted world, for example, learning song arrangements. You know, so a sighted person can be presented with a beautiful little chord chart, which I can write chord charts perfectly fine, but I can't read them. Well, I can't read them while I'm playing. Yeah, um, so I, um, so I can't just sit there and read a read a chart and and do the job in ten minutes and go. Well, there's your song. There you go. That's what all the session musicians do. You know, so I have to learn the thing, um, and this comes down to when I'm sort of backing people so you know that that sort of thing um requires me to uh to do uh a little bit of extra work and and I, I don't mind that sort of thing um but some people may not like that <laughs> if you know what I mean mm. um and the other thing is I would say if you really want to do it 
I think you would, if you really want to be in this business or anyone else, I can't see how I would have done it without, well, at least some support network of some description. You know, it, it's not easy to do it entirely on your own, but that would depend on the business and how independent you are. Um, uh, you, know, so, you know, some blind people are, as I said before, more independent than me, you know, and not, not, not that I'm not independent, but I, I know some people, uh, you know, probably would just go, look, I'm going to do it all myself. And you could, you know, without a problem. But I look, I did have a lot of help and uh, I'm, I'm very grateful to the people who did help me because had I not had that, it would have been much harder, you know. Mm. Do you think it's fair to say that it would be easier now if you were starting up these days, given that uh, computers are readily, reasonably readily affordable and the software can be got for, you know, very little money comparative to, you know, spending thousands of dollars on real-to-real yeah. machines and recording consoles? The outlay is a lot less now than um, what it was then. I still remember when I bought my first, uh, after my real-to-real multi-track machine died in the late 90s, I... I went and bought a Tascam DA machine, which was a one of those interim formats that was sort of like mini discs and all these other things that were around, sort of before computers really, you know, uh, got going as much as they finally did. You know, and a lot of these interim interim audio formats, uh, but it was like ten thousand dollars for this machine. <laughs> you know, like um, just for an eight track machine that worked on a high eight uh, videotape and yeah um so yes the in that regard and of course not really much accessibility back then when it comes mm. to i mean it was easy to learn the machine as far as just like a tape recorder really but um but outside that yeah there was uh it, it's a lot easier now um than it was back then yeah i, I would have to say Yes, definitely. And there's also so much more support around now as far as, you know, if you want to run Logic, if you want to run Reaper, if you want to run Pro Tools, and of course these are all audio programs for people who aren't in this sort of scene. But there's all these blind uh, audio lists um, which I subscribe to them all. And um, if you want to learn it, yeah, you read the manuals. But... um, so many questions that you could just and there's so many blind it sort of connects you to a bunch of blind audio people from around the world who are doing this thing um this work and you've got all you got to do is ask a question and generally you'll get a response back very quickly i mean you've got things like midi mag uh which is like a general sort of audio list all sorts of things you know maybe they talk about keyboards and multi-track stuff and and then you have the, you know, like I say, the Pro Tools list and the Logic list and a lot of WhatsApp groups. And people are only far too happy to share information, including myself. You know, I mean, you know, if I can help people out, I will. And there's just a, a whole uh, massive group of people that will provide that sort of support. Now, that certainly was not around when I started doing this stuff. But again, said, I suppose we didn't need that as much um, because it was just pretty well analog gear and it was pretty a bit more straightforward so uh in some ways um yeah a lot simpler but in other ways i suppose you could say well uh it's a bit more complicated because you've got to go and learn software you know you've got to Mm -hmm. go and learn 
either are you going to learn to use a Mac? If you're going to learn to use a Mac, then you've got to go and learn to use the Mac, and you, then you've got to go and learn to use that specific audio program, and that takes time. Whereas I suppose in my in the old days it was a matter of well, you plug these cables in, and you essentially start recording through the console. It was you know it was wasn't as wasn't probably not as much of a learning curve in that area if you grew up with that sort of stuff. And and that's the important thing, isn't it? Set yourself up well to begin with, so that you're not fumbling around when you uh, when you receive your first clients and wondering. You what the really got to know. Look, having said that, things are going to happen. I mean, mm. look, things have happened to me where yeah, things. I mean, it's probably happened to every producer where something will go awry, oh, yeah. or uh, and sometimes you just got to say, ah, look. Do you want to go and have a cup of coffee for, for 10? <laughs> I mean, that doesn't very rarely happens, but I think there wouldn't be a producer around that hasn't had that happen, you know. Mm. But look, yes, you really have to know what you're doing. And just if you want to do it, uh, really practice mixing. I mean, I did an audio course um, years ago. I, I, I did a course at the School of Audio Engineering uh, back in the um, early 90s. And that was uh, that was really worth its weight in gold. I, I learned a lot of stuff. Although I learned I learned a lot more uh, from working with people. But I, I you know, it, it's good to go and do a course. It's good to go and learn how to uh, how to mix and you know and and how to um, the, the the best way of setting up a mix, the best way of recording, and learn about all the pitfalls. A lot of it I learned at the course. I suppose with a lot of the audio stuff. The, the digital world that came a bit after I did my course, and uh, I did uh, had to learn a bit as I was going on. But I watched a lot of uh, I watched a lot of YouTube videos. I did a bit of a mixing uh, or digital mixing course online once, and it's just you, you can't really have too much information. It, you need to be prepared. Otherwise, especially in the studio, you as as you just said before, you get someone come in and. And then you realise you can't do something. It's like you just don't want to be in that situation mm. because uh, it's not a fun place to be. If you want to do something, if you, as a blind person or any other disability, you know, if you, if you have a desire to do something, and you really want to do it, then it's a good idea to at least look into it and see if it's feasible because it might just become a way of life. Um, and maybe there's obstacles in the way that you might have to overcome but generally there's a way around it if you really want to do it and i just think if you i just think it's a good idea to not be sitting around going oh well, wonder what would happen if i'd have actually done this or that it's it's a good idea to find out and if it fails well it doesn't really matter <laughs> you know mm. but do what you want to I, I suppose just if if you really have a passion to do something, just at least investigate it and see if you can make it work and you just really might surprise yourself. But you will definitely need some help. Well, what I'm looking forward to at the moment is I'm just about to put out another album of mine. So I've got a, I'm mixing it at the moment, so I'm really looking forward to getting that out there and, and and that's going to be a lot of fun. So uh, it's a weird thing when you produce your own stuff and then you've got to turn around and promote your own stuff. It's like you're always changing hats all the time, but, hey, that's <laughs> part of the fun. 
Yeah, that's a really interesting situation to put yourself in, isn't it? Because, you know, you spend all this time working on other people's products and improving other people's products, and, and now suddenly you've got to do the same thing to yourself. Is that one of the hardest parts, do you think, of running your business? Yes, because my own projects, I've done, I've only done a couple of my own albums so far in this studio. Um, this is my third one I've done, and my own projects just seem to take a long time because you're trying to juggle it around other things, you know, other people's work. And, look, that's okay. I mean, I love working on other people's stuff, so it, it's what I love to do. I wouldn't have it any other way. But my own projects, yeah, they, I've really got to – I must admit, I've got to focus a lot more on on my own stuff. It's, it's harder for me to work on my own stuff because I think, oh, yeah, but I could just do this job because mm. – you know, it's it's uh, it, well one, it's it's sort of paying money, but then your own albums pay money too if you get out and promote them. You know, sure. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, yeah, I've, I've, it is really tricky. It's it's very hard to uh, you sort of got to cut yourself in three bits at times mm. to get everything done. But hey, you know, <laughs> I guess that's part of the fun. You know, people, you know, getting songs out there, that's a money making business too. People, people. Record companies or indie people, they, they they put money into doing that as well. And then there's still no guarantee that the song is actually going to go and do something. Um, you, but if you don't put yourself out there in that way, and not that everyone would want to do that, I chose to do that, um, then uh, you, 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 know, you can't get your songs out there. I mean, sometimes mm. you can be lucky. That's not to say you can't do it without spending money, but generally... Everything's a money-making business, and so are, so is um, you know chart singles. Excellent. All right. Well, thanks for being a part of the uh, the program. Thanks very much, Vaughan. Thanks for having us on. Steve Sparrow there, a blind studio owner from the south side of Brisbane. And some of Steve's music is available through Apple Music and other online streaming platforms. If you'd like to know more, you can look for Steve Sparrow. His website is sparrowsound.com.au. That's sparrowsound.com.au. This podcast series is brought to you in conjunction between Blind Citizens Australia and Vision Australia. It runs in conjunction with the Entrepreneurial Mindset webinar series, and that series is being run between October and December of 2022. And I'll talk to you again next week. You have been listening to An Eye for Business, exploring the entrepreneurial mindset of people who are blind or vision impaired. This is a series of programmes brought to you in partnership between Blind Citizens Australia and Vision Australia. Join us again next week.